Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, yes to Hopkins, almost three years in the making, and there is hope for the Hawks yet. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Hitting Hard is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. Get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app and follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So we saw last week that DeAndre Hopkins was officially released from the Arizona Cardinals, and they're going to take a big dead cap money hit. I think it's $21.5 million or $22 million or what have you. Now, I was initially against the idea of trading for DeAndre Hopkins because, again, you'd be taking on a huge contract. He's the highest paid wide receiver as far as cap hit goes this upcoming season, <clears throat> and I just didn't think it made a whole lot of sense for the Falcons to get into the trading of DeAndre Hopkins. And especially for a guy, you know, who obviously has had a little bit of a, you know, is, is getting a little bit older, a little bit long in the tooth, still had 717 yards um, this past season. So still has lots of production in him, but at 30 plus million dollars, that did not make a whole lot of sense, right? For a 30 year old wide receiver. But now that he's been released, I'm all about trying to figure out a way to get DeAndre Hopkins. I'm all about trying to figure out a way to make him a part of the Atlanta Falcons. I would love to see him be a part of this organization. Look, obviously, we know that we need a number two, quote unquote, wide receiver on this team, right? I mean, that that's what we know we need more help at the wide receiver position, right? And again, when you look at all of the weapons that we already have on our offense. And we've talked, gone through the whole Rolodex of people. Look, if we're going to be really good on offense, let's be great on offense. If we're going to lean heavily toward that side of the football with all the playmakers that we have, then give me more playmakers. Let me have somebody who can do something at every single position on the football field. And if Hopkins can come in here and help us out, in any sort of way, then why not bring him in? And look, he's going to get, he's getting money from the uh, Arizona Cardinals to start with. So you're not going to overpay for DeAndre Hopkins. You're not going to give him a $30 million contract for a year to come in here and be a part of this organization. And look, I don't know what Hopkins thoughts are about, you know, wanting to come to the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, obviously we look at the Falcons as a team on the rise do other players look at, you know, the way that they're on the rise? I don't know. I mean, certainly Calais Campbell looked at us and said, hey, that's a team that I want to go to. That's a coach that I want to play for. So maybe Hopkins is the same kind of way. Whatever the case is, I would love to bring in DeAndre Hopkins. So last year for Hopkins, as we said, 717 yards, 11.2 yards per reception, three uh, touchdown receptions. Obviously, he had the suspension uh, last year, nine games 
<clears throat> excuse me, 64 receptions on 96 targets. So that's 66.7% of his targets resulted in a reception. That's a pretty good number for a wide receiver. But again, if all he does is come in here and be another threat and be a red zone threat, I, I don't know what his numbers should be, what they could be. <clears throat> we certainly are not going to be an offense that's going to huck it around 40 times a game. But if he could come in here and make a few big plays and score some touchdowns and, and give us one more option in the red zone, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I don't know what the price tag is going to be. I would guess it would probably be, and the Falcons do, by the way, they have a little bit more than $10 million on the cap to spend. That's why you hold on to money come this time of the year when you get to June 1st cuts and things like that, where there's going to be some unexpected players that are going to get released by teams. We sort of knew that Hopkins was going to be released, that we knew that if they couldn't find a way to trade him, they weren't going to absorb that $30 million cap pit moving forward. I think he's got one more year, had one more year on his deal, what have you. But anyway, um, they were going to take the big cap hit and just kind of move on from him. But now that he's a free agent and you can sign him for whatever, and I don't think he's going to play for fish heads and rice. That's the other thing too, is, you know, he's got obviously value in the league. He's not completely over the hill, right? I mean, he's obviously only 30 years old, so he's not necessarily on the upside of his career, but certainly he's not a guy that's, you know, we, we used to talk about the idea of Julio Jones was an old 30, right? Like Julio was an old 30 because of the beat up factor and the injuries that he has. I don't know that Deandre Hopkins is an old 30, but he's certainly not on the uptick of his career. But if you come in here and you can be a part of an offense that's got so many weapons can stretch the field, can be a red zone threat. I mean, whatever it is in this role that he would come into, I would certainly be in favor of it. I would certainly love to have a DeAndre Hopkins, a veteran leader, certainly a guy who can work with the Drake London, certainly a guy who can work with some of our younger wide receivers as well. Certainly a guy who's been around the league and certainly a guy who has had success in the league, obviously at two different stops, right? I mean, he's been in Houston and been in, in Arizona. He's been a productive wide receiver. Again, he's had, what, two, four, six, 1,000-yard seasons. He's had three years where he's had double-digit touchdowns, and he's probably not that same player anymore, but that's okay. Because, again, with London and Pitts and Jonu Smith and, you know, B. John Robinson and Algier and blah, 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 all and on and on and on and on, it doesn't have to be that guy. He can come in here and just find a role, find a niche to come in and be a productive guy, whether it's in the red zone, whether he can stretch the field a little bit, whatever he can do, but whatever, whatever his role could end up being for this team. So I'm all in on the idea of bringing in Cordero or sorry, DeAndre Hopkins. I'm all in on the idea of Hopkins being in Atlanta. Now that we don't have to trade for him, now that we wouldn't get stuck with a big contract around our neck, now that you don't have to give up any sort of capital whatsoever, you can bring him in, sign him off the street. Again, I think the number is probably going to be, you know, most of the Falcons cap space, probably somewhere in that maybe eight to 10 million range. Maybe he takes a little bit less to play for the right team. Maybe he takes a few bucks less to come in to a situation where, 
He can be part of a really good offensive group. But whatever that number is, I certainly think the Falcons should be in the mix for DeAndre Hopkins. Let's see if they can find another way to pull off a veteran to come in here and be a part of something, just like they did with Calais Campbell to come in here and be a part of a growing defense. Let's see if they can find another way to bring a guy in and be a part of what should be. If you add DeAndre Hopkins in the mix, this would be a really dynamic offense. There would be no excuse for us to not be a top-tier offense at that point. All right, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Listen, Built Bar's got you covered with all of the best snacks, whether you want traditional protein bars or the protein-infused marshmallow puffs. Built Bar's got you covered with all kinds of great flavors and tastes, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, but that whopping 17 grams of protein, they got you covered for the low-calorie snacks that you're looking for. However, though, now they've got a couple of different ways where you can buy your Built Bars. So you can go to Built.com, put in an order, look at all the different great flavors that they have. They're coming out with a new flavor every single month. Check out all of the great flavors, order your box of Built Bars, and have it shipped directly to your home. Or now, if you want to get in your car and head to the store, you can go to the pharmacy section of Walmart or the Sam's Club and buy your built box of Built Bars direct, right off the shelf. So whether you go the brick-and-mortar route, whether you want to go online, Built Bar has you covered all the way around. If you like sitting at home, waiting for your box of Built Bars to get there, that's great. You can go to Built.com and do that. But now you can go to Walmart and Sam's Club to grab your box of Built Bars right off the shelf and have them right in your hand. Built Bars got you covered all the way around. Great taste, great snacks, low calorie, low carb, but a lot of protein in everything with Built Bar. So it's almost three years in the making. We saw last night that Mike Soroka, who had not started a game since August of 2020. Now think about that, August of 2020. I think it's a thousand something days since he had pitched a big league start. And obviously, you know, besides just the injuries themselves, you know, we've seen this rehab process, right? He was, what, at Rome last year making some starts. He's been, you know, up in Gwinnett. Um, You know, he had a little bit of a setback, but he was up in Gwinnett and he was making starts. And we were wondering when he was going to be back. And it all kind of worked itself out that, okay, the Braves had an open spot to uh, in last night's game where there would have been a bullpen game. They had an open spot. They were playing a dreadful team. And look, I know the, the Oakland A's ended up scoring seven runs and they beat him, but still a dreadful team in the Oakland A's. They're only 11 and 45 on the season with that victory. Not like they've, not like they've been, you know, or they, well, they have been the embarrassment of major league baseball. They're only six and 23 at home um, on the season, but look, Soroka did a lot of really good things in this game. Three, almost three years in the making his line at the end of the day, six innings, five hits, four earned runs, two walks, three strikeouts, the one home run that he gave up, the three-run homer, but on 83 pitches. So he was an effective as far as a efficient pitch count goes. He had the one bad inning. I mean, that's really what it was, was his downfall was the fifth inning of, of this game where he gave up the four runs. And on the and the big blow was Noda's uh, three-run homer. Um, that was the thing that, that, you know, but again, that was the difference in the game 
But not only that, but for Mike Soroka in the quality of his start. Up until that point, he had been really good. The first four innings, he had pitched really well. But more than just the result and what ended up happening and things like that, the Braves took it on the chin to Oakland, um, 7-2. Not really thrilled about the results of that, the fact that they only scored a couple of runs uh, off of him. Um, Olsen with another big home run, but still couldn't get a whole lot of offense going and cranked up. But more than that, the big story is the fact that Michael Soroka is back, and he's back as part of hopefully what can be a you know a regular series of starts in this rotation, hoping for no setbacks, hoping for no tweaks or anything like that. You know, the Braves have done a really good job <clears throat> of babying him and putting him in bubble wrap for as long as they could, right? Like, they did a good job of not, I mean, because, again, they had all kinds of opportunity to rush him up and throw him in the mix and not have to do bullpen games and, and get him starts. You know, it's not just free. It's not just right. You know, Ian Anderson is down as well. Right. I mean, we, we've had all these opportunities where we're looking for starting pitching and we needed a guy to come in. When is Soroka going to be ready? When is Soroka going to be? But they just they they stayed the course. They stayed the course. They had their patience. They knew that they could get away with some bullpen games and some, you know, other guys starting Schuster, Dodd, whatever, that they weren't going to rush Michael Soroka, given all of the history of injuries these last few years that he has had given all of the setbacks that he's incurred over the last few years, they weren't going to push him to make a start. And when the time was right, the time was right. And he arguably had, uh, what was it, about a week or two ago, he arguably had his best start in the minors at Gwinnett. He was effective. He had a high pitch count. I think he got, I think that was the first time that he had gotten to 100 pitches in a game in a minor league start. So it was all kind of coming together. It was all starting to come together for him. But certainly they didn't rush him and they let him take his time and and they got him to a point where I think that he felt confident. He felt like he could take the ball. And by the way, too, if you look, I mean, he was packing on some extra weight. And I don't mean that in a bad way that he was fat or heavy or anything like that. But but he was a little bit bulkier than what he was a few years ago. All right. So he's carrying on a little bit of muscle mass and, and just general overall weight. And he said he felt really good with that. <clears throat> Again, not that he's a fat guy or anything like that, but he was just carrying a little bit more mass, a little bit more bulk on his frame. And I think it was a little bit more muscle tone and just found himself, you know, in a, in a better spot physically with that little bit of extra weight on him. So they did a great job of not rushing him, not bringing him up too quickly even as the Braves were having their struggles in the rotation and having to put bullpen games out there, right, and all these different kinds of things that that would have been very easy to bring him up and, and get him back up to the big league club, right? He had been pitching, you know, spring training, starts in the minors, right? He had a little bit of rehab starting last year in Rome, right? I mean, they were bringing him along, and last night was the perfect time to bring him in. You had a bad team that you played. You know, they were they were um, on the road, so you didn't have all the fanfare and things like that where you were at home and there would be, you know, whatever, family commitments or expectations or things like that at home. Like, everything worked itself out perfectly for him to make his debut start 
this season. And again, almost three years in the making, August of 2020. Think about that, August of 2020. But let's hope now that he can be a solution to some of the Braves' ills. And look, <clears throat> right now the Braves have three starters that they rely on. Elder, Strider, Morton. That's the three guys that they count on in this rotation. If they can figure out a way to have a fourth guy that they can rely on, then you can figure things out on the very back end of your rotation with the Schusters and Dodds and things like that. You can allow them. It's tougher to do when you only have three starters, right? Because you're going to get into bullpen games and things like that when you've only got three guys. Because you're not going to burn Dodd and Schuster and those guys out as far as an inning standpoint. You can't just drop those two guys into the starting rotation and just start burning their arms out. And, and obviously, the hurdles of being a successful major league pitcher, right? We've seen better guys than, than you know, Schuster, Dodd, that have come up and they've had their issues. The Tuki Toussaints and guys like that that just couldn't latch on. So this is a perfect opportunity with all the injury struggles, with all the different things going on. And listen, and Mike Soroka, Michael Soroka, I should say, if he can just come back and just be a reliable starter, give me five innings, be a guy who can be a part of the regular rotation of pitchers, be a guy who can be in that regular mix, it's all I'm asking for. I'm not asking him to go out there and be my ace. I'm not going out there and asking him to be what he was a few years ago, the best young pitcher in baseball, right? where that playoff game against the Astros, I don't know why we didn't start Michael Soroka, but again, he was one of the best pitchers in the National League that year, and I'm not asking him to do all of those things. I'm just asking him to start to be a part of the regular rotation, be able to take the ball every fifth day in your hand and figure out a way to get me five, maybe six innings of, of, starting, of quality starting. So it wasn't bad for his first start. He had one inning that had got away from him, he was efficient with his pitch count. So it's all good news for Michael Soroka. Yeah, it sucks that he got the loss last night, but still all good news. And the fact that Michael Soroka is now back as part of our rotation, that's all good news for Braves fans and Braves country. Glad to see him back. All right, as you make hitting hard with John Chuckery, your first listen, make sure you go in and leave us a comment that you're an everyday listener to the program. So we like to call them our every day or so. Whatever uh, platform you're listening on, go into the comment section and leave us a note that you're an every day or so. We appreciate so much you listening in five days a week. And we obviously are part of a growing community of folks. So we love you being a part of our audience. But let us know that you're an everyday listener to the program. Well, there is hope for the Atlanta Hawks. So last night we saw that the Miami Heat took it to the Boston Celtics 103-84 in their uh, Game 7 matchup uh, where the Miami Heat were trying to avoid becoming the first team in NBA history to blow a 3-0 series lead. And I'm not surprised the Heat won. I mean, tough to beat a team three times in a row, <clears throat> even for as good as the Boston Celtics are. Tough to beat a team three times in a row, right? I mean, to to come back from that, or I should say four times uh, in a row uh, to, to figure out a way to beat a quality team like the Miami Heat. But remember now, the Miami Heat started out as the eighth seed in the playoffs, right? In fact, the Hawks beat the Miami Heat in that 8-9 matchup, uh, or I should say the 7-8 matchup, and 
the Hawks, by virtue of beating Miami, they became the seventh seed in the in the tournament in the in the first round of the NBA playoffs. And the Miami Heat were the eighth seed, who they basically had to go win another, a second play-in game, right? They had to play the winner of the 9-10 matchup just to get into the first round of the playoffs. And now here they become the uh, Eastern Conference representative for, you know, as as the Eastern Conference, I should say, as the Eastern Conference representative to take on the Denver Nuggets. That's hope for the Hawks, right? Now, Miami certainly did not have a very good regular season. You know, they were the number one seed, right, the year before, and they took on the Hawks in that in that dreadful playoff series where they basically just manhandled the Hawks for, for five, what was it, five games, I think it was, was that series, four games to one, just manhandled the Hawks, and it was a complete mismatch. But it does give you hope that a team like the Miami Heat, who is not built around a whole bunch of stars. Yes, Jimmy Butler's a star in the league, and Jimmy Butler's maybe the best leader of, of basketball players in the NBA right now. You know, if you if you look at leadership and things like that, he's probably the number one guy. And they've got some good pieces, right? Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, right? I mean, they've got some good pieces around him. Do they have a whole bunch of stars? No. But they're coached really well. They play good defense. They're fundamentally sound. And and they've got a guy in Jimmy Butler that he may not blow you off the off the uh, floor with all of his stats and things like that. He may not fill up the stat sheet every night, but that guy's a winner. That guy's a winner. And so you can get away with not being a great regular season team <clears throat> if you can do some things well, if you can be coached really well, if you have a guy that you can put the burden of your team's you know effort on onto his shoulders. And that's what they have in Jimmy Butler. That's what they have in Eric Spolstra. And I've been a detractor from Eric Spolstra for several years now. I, I I thought for years that he was a guy that certainly rolled the basketball out when it was LeBron and Wade and Chris Bosh just rolled the basketball out and, and basically piggybacked off of what Pat Riley had done and, and putting that team together. And, you know, again, he's worked himself into being one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in the NBA right now. And he does more with less. <clears throat> and hopefully the Hawks can learn a lesson from all this, that if you don't have a great regular season, that you can still find a way to get through the playoffs and still find a way to be a successful team in the playoffs like Miami. Now, again, they went from number one seed in the East to number eight this past year, right? So they took a, they took a you know significant step back as far as, seeding goes but they were always a quality basketball team they were always going to be a dangerous team in the playoffs but it does give hope that the Atlanta Hawks can certainly turn things around and figure out a way to take that next step forward whatever that next step is you know again we've talked about the expectations for this team I certainly think that they have to be a second round playoff team for this season to be a success not just get to the NBA playoffs, not just win a play-in game or what have you, <clears throat> not just show up in a first-round playoff series, but they have to find a way to overcome beating a team in the first round. And ideally, they would be a top 
three, four, five seed in the Eastern Conference, that they would find a way to be one of the top seeds, not have to be in the play-in tournament, and advance through the first round of the playoffs. And then whatever happens from there, happens from there, right? Baby steps. we got to have some growth in, in all of this. So the fact that Miami, you know, became an eight seed to get themselves to the NBA Finals says a lot, okay? Maybe it says a lot about the idea of, okay, they didn't have the good regular season that everybody expected that they would have. Why did they not have a good regular season? Why were they not better? Why did they put themselves in this position? I don't know. I I, I don't cover the Miami Heat. I, I don't really know. I don't watch the Miami Heat on a daily, nightly basis. But I do watch the Hawks. And if we can find a way to obviously, you know, overcome some of our shortcomings, and look, it's going to be a busy offseason for the Atlanta Hawks. But there is hope that, look, you can be a team that doesn't finish high in the standings and isn't maybe the most talented team in the NBA, but you can still find a way to get themselves into the NBA Finals, right? And I think from a talent perspective, think from a pure talent perspective that we have more talent than the Miami Heat. We don't have Jimmy Butler, who's the ultimate winner, right? We don't have a guy like Jimmy Butler. We probably don't really have Eric Spolstra. Now, hopefully Quinn Snyder is that guy. Hopefully we see Quinn Snyder be the next Eric Spolstra, right? And that's not taking away anything from, from either guy. It's just I want to see that coaching influence that Eric Spolstra has on his team. I want to see that influence that he has on a daily basis. So it's good news that the Miami Heat figured out a way to get to the NBA Finals as an eight seed. It should give you hope for the Hawks that you can turn things around pretty quickly. The right coach, the right mindset, the right star player. Hopefully all of those things can turn this thing around from obviously what was a really lackluster regular season for the Hawks. Maybe they can find that gear again like they did a couple few years ago when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe they can flip that switch and turn it on and be a lot better, not just through the regular season, but certainly getting through the playoffs. All right, thank you so much for making Hit and Hard with John Chuck where your first listen. Make sure you go in and leave us a comment on whatever platform that you're listening on that you're an everyday listener to the show, right? We want to recognize our everydayers, as we like to call them, so... We thank you so much for being a part of our growing community. Let us know that you're an everyday listener five days a week to the shows. We thank you so much for being a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube where we ever listen to your podcast. You can get the latest episodes of Hit and Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app as well. And give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at jmch 3 one six. Back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta. 